Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1493 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And thank you for joining us at the top of the podcast. I want to tell you to make this your first listen each and every day here at Lockdown Hawks. Please subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcast, places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, etc. And today's show is actually part one of two with my friend Zach Milner, who covers the NBA draft for places like the Tag the Roll podcast, Cerebro Sports, etc. We'll be talking about player capsules in recent days on this podcast, talking about players like John Collins, Clint Capella, DeAndre Hunter, etc. Those are all available in the feed right now with myself and Glenn Willis talking about the really the whole roster to this point. Only two more remaining with Murray and Trey Young, but a brief reprieve talking about the NBA draft because we're nine days away from the draft. Also, a recent podcast with Richard Stamen of the Lawton NBA Big Board podcast, Ben Pfeiffer as well in the NBA draft. So wall-to-wall coverage happening here in June. And again, a fun conversation today. This is part one you're about to listen to right now. Part two should be available in your feeds at the same time. And without any further delay, talk about the NBA draft with Zach Miller. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. I'm joined now by Zach Milner, genuine NBA draft expert. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, We're getting closer. Uh, we're recording this podcast on Tuesday, so you know nine days to the draft. Uh, we're almost there. Uh, it's uh, it's it's sort of come quickly in some respects. In other ways, feels like it's always forever. Uh, now the finals are over, so it seems like everyone in the world turns their attention to the to the uh, draft at this particular moment. Uh, this was scheduled before that, so we weren't we were not purposely doing that anyway. Um, <laughs> right. And I talk about the draft more than most people do, uh, not as much as you do, but anyway. Uh, it's a good time to talk about the draft for sure. Lots of uh, extra eyes and ears and stuff like that. Um, but we have a couple guys to talk about uh, with regard to the Hawks in their range at 15 overall. Before we do that, though, I do want to ask you, generally speaking, and I do listen to your podcast with Mark, uh, so that I have a little bit of uh, back back knowledge here. But I want to know what you think of this class and kind of like what your philosophy almost would be um, as the Hawks. Like, obviously, you don't, you don't know who's going to be available at 15. That's one of the tricks of this range. And I keep saying that to the point where I'm sure fans are hating that I say that. But I genuinely don't know who's going to be available when they come on the board at 15, which is part of this. But what do you make of the class overall and kind of uh, where the Hawks are as, fa- as far as like evaluating this range of players? So I think for the class overall, I think I'm a little bit more on the higher side relative to other people. But I think that's not because of the call, co- I think they like the college class was a little bit underwhelming, but then you have guys at the top like Scoot, Wemby, and some of the overtime guys. Like, I think they are carrying the top of the class for the most part. Like, there were some good college players in Brandon Miller, Jairus Walker. There were guys, but I, I do think the college class as a whole is probably underwhelming. But when you take into account the non college guys, it's pretty solid. Um, I think there is a little bit of drop off early on, but I think like the, the five or six to like 18 to 19 range is a pretty like wide range where like i don't think people who are in like the 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 13 to 18 they're all similar people so i think when you're at the hawks pick you're going to actually find a pretty good talent at that uh at that pick um but in terms of approach for what i do here is i i think it's tough for the hawks when you have trey young and Dejounte murray do you want to surround them with spacers who can space the floor make it easier on them um but for trey you also want to have a good defender next to him so trying to Mm -hmm. find that player in the first round it's easier to find someone who can contribute on both sides than it is in the second round but just trying to find the balance of how can they fit next to trey on both sides of the ball and also make it just just make it easier for everyone on offense and on defense 
Yeah, it makes sense. And it's just a weird, this is a weird spot that uh, I've talked about a lot on other shows about like where the Hawks are organizationally, which part was plays in this too. And uh, there's, there's decisions to make up and down the roster around Trey and maybe DeJounte long-term we'll see. Um, but it's a good sort of synopsis on where they are because, you know, it's like I said, it's tough to find players that are definitely going to be there. Guys that definitely won't be there. I keep getting asked on various radio things. I'm sure you can imagine um, like what the best case scenario is. And it's like, well, who's available. I mean, and my, my stock answer uh, as well, I'm actually going to ask you about this player. So it's a good sort of transition. I keep saying case and Wallace is like my best case semi-reasonable scenario i don't think he's going to be there ultimately if i had to guess one way or the other but he's the one guy that i have the highest that i do think is like semi-reasonable to fall to 15 and i think hawks fans are spoiled a little bit because guys keep falling to them aj griffin fell to them unsurprising uh, sorry surprisingly last year <laughs> um so maybe they're just thinking it's going to happen again with case and look not everybody loves him he is not like a universally beloved prospect but uh, i am high on him and i wanted to ask you about case in general i know you talked about him a lot in other places too but um does that fit with a re- relative base, best case scenario kind of thing for you and uh, what do you make of, uh, of case and wells yeah i think that would be a really good fit for atlanta I personally am on the lower end for Kaysen, but that's relative to people saying he's like a top seven, top eight guy. What I was going to say, getting... at 15, it's like you, you could be kind of relatively low and still be there with him. I yeah, guess. I, I would definitely be taking him at 15 if he's there. It's just like compared to who, who I've talked to and where they've had him, I'm just lower on it than them because I'll say Mike uh, concerns with him because I'm sure you've talked about the yeah. positive concerns. But with me, I'm actually a little bit lower on the – perimeter defense not against like as a whole i think he's gonna be a good defender but i think against the bursty bursty guards i think he was able or he he got blown by a bit in college like the marquise noel in the kansas state game was able to drive by him several times and then when you go against some of the bigger wings uh, i don't think he did the best job of holding his ground against them either like jalen clark is someone who isn't that great of an offensive player, but was able to score over Kaysen two or three times in the UCLA game rather easily. So I'm a little bit lower on his versatility, but I do think with him, if he buys into that physicality and using his strength and getting up in, def- uh, in the offensive player's handles and not letting them get comfortable, that's where he can make um, his money on perimeter defense. Obviously a really, really good off-ball defender as well. So I think he's a really good defender. I'm just a little bit lower on the uh, on ball versatility relative to other people, which is why I have a little bit lower on him there, but yeah, him no, in Atlanta would make a lot of sense. I think I was going to say, I mean, uh, that makes, that makes sense. I mean, cause you know, if, even if you are a little bit lower, just for people to, I'm trying to do a little bit more bio on these guys now. Cause I, I got um, the other day I had Richard Stamen on the podcast. People were like, we don't know who these guys are. I'm like, Oh yeah, I forget sometimes who I'm talking to. And um, not Richard, but the, for the listeners and Wallace is, you know, he's listed it. I believe he measured it like six, three or so mm-hmm. six, eight wingspan, six, nine wingspan. Um, and the, I think the most of the concern that you hear is about the offense, less so about right. the defense. And I think that's an interesting nuance you just pointed out because not, you're not saying he's going to be a bad defender. It's more like there, there are degrees of like how awesome he can be in certain areas defensively. Because if you hear certain scouting reports, I'm sure it's like, this guy is like going to take away everybody. And if there are a little bit of concerns about that, that's notable because of the offensive potential was like, but I would say the concerns there are a little bit easier to see. Right. And, and that's why when I compare how I view him to others, I, and it comes to me like where it's like, I'm lower on the floor. I'm lower on the ceiling, but I'm more in line on the median outcome with him is how I pretty much yeah. said it. Um, because I do think he's going to be a plus, a really good defender. It's just, the question is how elite can he be? And when you are talking about someone who could be the best defender in a class, I think you have to be nitpicky with some of these things and see how good they are in every certain area. Like I said, 
really, really good off-ball defender. He is still a good on-ball defender, but there are some faults on that end, which I have noticed. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you really enjoy the DFS space like I do, make sure you check out the award-winning app at Prize Picks. It's daily fantasy made easy. It's amazing. And I know that you will love it as well. With Prize Picks, it's very easy to use. I've been playing there for a, really a couple of years now, and it's really a breeze to operate. All you have to do is pick two to six players, actually choose one that have more or less than a certain number of points or rebounds, assists, or any other stats across the board. We have 25 times the money on your entries, and they have sports across the board, really beyond the NBA and WNBA, college basketball. They have, they have sports like MLB, NHL, PGA. NFL, college football, soccer, esports, and much more. And a whole intricate in just a minute or less. It's that easy and it's that quick. Plus, it's just you against the numbers. They have safe and bath withdrawals at Prospects as well. They're operating in more than 30 states, including Georgia plus Canada. Download the app right now with PrizePix or PrizePix.com. Sign up by DFS right now. If you're a first-time user, get 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. Don't forget that promo code. It is Locked On at sign up for the instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at PrizePix. Um, but if you want to go to the offensive side, yeah, I think that he has. So the 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 promise with him is, I think he has a really solid shot. His shot did fall off a lot this year, so the numbers at the end of the year didn't look that good. But prior to February fifth, he was shooting over forty percent from three. That did drop a lot, I think, with him, or not with I think, but looking at his numbers, he was a much better shooter from the corners than he was above the break. This year, he shot fifteen for thirty three from the corners. 29 for 94 above the break. Uh, so I, I do wonder if that has to do with just small sample size or just he's much more comfortable in the corners where there are people who are that way. Uh, but another reason why I'm lower on the ceiling with him is I don't really buy too much of his on-ball creation. I think with him, he needs a lot of screens to be able to create shots for himself and teammates. He doesn't do a great job creating for himself without a screen and something over the years that I've learned where I have overvalued that in the past where there's a really good pick and roll player. I don't think he's a really good pick and roll player, but he's a good pick and roll player. But when you have someone who is an elite pick and roll player, if they still can't create space without, without a screen, I haven't seen them have that much success in the league. So I've started to adjust how I evaluate those kind of guards since then. So I, I've been thinking about that with Kaysen, and I don't know if his burst and his handle are good enough to consistently create for himself. But once again, he doesn't need that to be a good NBA player. Being an above average defender who can hit threes and be, he's still a really good finisher who doesn't get to the rim as often, but being a really good finisher, a guard who can hit threes and a really good defender, that's still a valuable player to have. Yeah, for sure. And I was going to ask that sort of because, you know, some places, some teams might ask him to do more on the ball than I think the Hawks would. You know, the Hawks just for it's the Hawks podcast, like you're playing alongside Trey, um, maybe alongside DeJounte Murray. I don't know what the plan is for DeJounte long term. Obviously, Trey's more of the building block, but um, it seems like in some ways anyway, that would be a, a, an easier partnership for Kaysen as a player just to, like, to take the pressure off him. Because if, if you're making, I'm sure that it's at least possible for a top 10 team to maybe think this is going to be our guy, our lead guard moving forward. That's like one of the one of the questions about Kaysen. In Atlanta, that doesn't have to be a thing. Maybe he can be your backup point guard potentially long-term. But like, you know, as far as like primary initiation responsibilities, they don't really exist that much in Atlanta. Right. And I think the question does come where I brought up the, on ball stuff with Kaysen, you sort of want someone who's a really, really good on ball defender next to Trey. So you sort of wonder yeah. if that is where some problems can come in. I would still say it's perfectly fine. While I mentioned his falls there, he's still a really good on ball defender. Um, but going back to the offense for a little, 
is I do want to say I do understand those people who are higher on his offense than I am. I do think it's understandable because his intermediate game is actually really good. When he does get the screen, when he does get into the mid-range, he does shoot the ball well from mid-range off the dribble. I think he needs to work on expanding that out to three. But if he can't expand that out to three um, and then just do a little bit of better job improving his handle and improving his change of pace and create more space, He's a really good finisher as well, and he could potentially be a three-level scorer. I don't buy it. Pretend, I don't buy it fully, but there mm-hmm. is flashes that he has shown this year to where I can see why people are higher on that um, aspect of his game. I'm going to ask this because I'm sure you're going to roll your eyes. Uh, wh- where do you stand on the on the Kentucky guard thing? Because that's always a talking point, and I'm, I see you're laughing. People, people listen to the audio por- audio portion of this. Fine. I knew you were going to laugh, but like I get asked about it, so I'm asking you. Right. And he's, of course, this year's example of a guy who you know there's this track record of Kentucky guards that have fallen too far, et cetera, et cetera. Do you do you care about this? Is this is this the thing that you consider? I was really interested in it like a year and a half ago or so, but then I yeah. actually went back and rewatched Devin Booker. I rewatched Jamal Murray. I, I went back and rewatched all of them just to make sure because it was really interesting. Yeah, and I think they all showed what they show now. Like maybe it wasn't that they got to show it as often because of how they were used or just for Booker. That was a ridiculous team. Like right, he it was just a really good team where I don't really question his usage. They just never lost. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think with them, they actually showed um, what they're showing in the league now to a lesser extent, obviously, but the flashes were always there. Um, I don't think Kaysen was able to show it as consistently um, without as much trouble as they did there. So I would say, sure, I still think he's a good guard and he can continue to improve and be a really good player. I, I do think just going back and watching the old Kentucky film, you'll just see like, oh, these guys were always good. They just didn't get to show it as often as they uh, they do now. That makes sense. It was sort of a lit question to ask. Um, no, I, and- I, I do think it's an interesting topic, though. I've, I've considered writing about it, honestly, because I do think it's everyone always considers it. Everyone talks about it. Um, so going back and rewatching the old film is important. I think everyone would be yeah. interested in that as well. No, I totally agree. Um, and the, the last thing on this is a sort of a transition in some ways. Like there's been a lot of questions I've gotten about you know, why certain players haven't worked out for the Hawks. And it's I keep my stock answer is at 15 guys don't want to come sometimes because they want to go in the lottery and they don't want to come visit you, especially when you're visiting a fear, especially if you're a guard, let's say like, like case and you, you don't want to go to a team with Trey young and Deshante Murray, if you can help it probably. Um, and there was this, um, I'm not saying it was instant, but the Hawks announced case as, as a workout participant. And about two hours later, they said he wasn't coming and he was, and he was going to be their, their, their highest profile guy that had come so far. So I wonder like even beyond the Hawks, like, do you um, pay close attention? And like, how much does it grab you? Like who work, who works out where and, especially in this range where it's so uncertain who's going to actually be around. Like I almost ignore it, to be honest. Like what, what guys do when they play is notable enough to me, but I think you're almost better off just saying, I, I don't care. Cause you know, as the go-to example is the Hawks didn't work out AJ last year, AJ came, he never came to Atlanta. They took him anyway. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. I think for the most part, there's also like agent stuff that goes on with this. So uh-huh. it's, for the <laughs> most part, it's best to ignore it i think from a fan perspective it's always cool to see who they're working out and maybe you get to see some video interviews and see them answer questions and all this kind of stuff and people always like seeing them in like their workout jerseys because that's what fans like um but in terms of projecting what's going to actually happen um i don't think it matters that much there's so much that you have to take into account with agents agent favor sometimes a player like i don't think it's good for them to work out for five different teams in a week because they can get tired from one workout to the next. So making sure they aren't 
working out too often um, is uh, something to keep yeah. in mind as well. So I'm with you for the most part. I don't think it matters that much. Um, I wouldn't say it's totally pointless, but sure. it's not something that I really care to look into that much. I want to ask you about a player that I realized the other day that I just haven't talked about really at all on this podcast. I have in other places, but, and that's, that's Bryce Sensible from Ohio state. Um, and, you know, in theory, he'd be a guy in this range. He didn't measure at the combine. I, I wonder what he actually measures at. I've seen him listed different things. I wonder what you have him down for him, but I'll, I'll open it up. I'm not, I'm not going to uh, sort of poison the well here. What do you think of, of Bryce Sensible? And does he make sense in Atlanta in your mind? Because he's a guy that I, again, I have not talked about, not on purpose. It just, I, I keep ignoring him for whatever reason on these rundowns. And I, I shouldn't do that because he's definitely in their range. Yeah. With him in Atlanta, I think it's an interesting fit. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm the biggest fan of it just because he has been someone, well, it's tough, right? Most of the time when a rookie is going to come in, they're not going to be playing with the star or the starters yep. that much anyway. So from that sense, like if you want him to come in and just be some bench score, I can see it. I can see it working out. Um, but he is someone who has always been better with the ball in his hands. Yep. And I think that him next to Trey and DeJounte would be a little bit of a weird fit, especially because his defense is quite rough. I do think he's a good shooter. Um, although it's it's more of he's good from three, but a lot of his stuff when he has the ball in his hands takes you into the mid-range and a really, really good mid-range shooter. But him next to Trey and DeJounte, where he's not going to be able to create his mid-range shot as often. So you, you're just having him spotting up from three um, and then relying him on him to bring value on the defensive end, which I don't think he can do. I'm not a huge fan of that. But if you just need to improve your bench and have like, oh, we need someone who can go ahead and give us some production off the bench and we don't have a point guard that we want to carry the ball, I think that's someone who makes sense. But once again, with your Atlanta, you can even stagger Trey and DeJounte to where I'm not sure you really need Bryce is probably how I view it. Yeah, and I think maybe that is the sort of unconscious bias of why I haven't brought him up a lot because I don't, I don't love the fit. It's not that I, I think he's a top, you know, top twenty-ish guy in this class. It's not that he's like would be an unreasonable pick in this range or anything, anything like that. But what you laid out, I'm sure some Hawks fans are kind of like, okay, that makes sense why you're not talking about him because the defense in particular. I, I was going to ask about because I've I've said this before. It's hard. It's not impossible, but it's hard for the Hawks to take guys on the perimeter or even you know up to the you know, really anywhere on the roster that have significant defensive concerns at this moment because they have so many guys that already do even beyond Trey, some of the supporting guys, you know, your Bogdanoviches, your Sadiq Bays, um, you know, even AJ who I think has a chance to be pretty decent. is not quite there yet. He's a, he's a rookie, et cetera. Um, I, I don't love Bryce Sensible's defense. It's not like you don't, you don't as well. Is it, what are the limitations there? Because it feels like he's almost like a power forward defensively, even though he's like six, five, six, he's just, he's a weird, he's a weird frame. Like he doesn't, he's kind of a weird mover. Like what do you make of his defense in general other than just not being very good? Yeah. I don't want to be too harsh, but yeah, I understand. <laughs> I think both on and off the ball is, is this really rough from him? I think he gets lost on defense a lot where he's missing rotations or he's missing, like he's lazy to close out or not closing out at all. And that just makes the defense really tough. And then, like you said, when you have that next to Trey, it makes it really difficult. The weird thing about this class is why I think in this class, in this range, where the Hawks are picking, there are so many really, really impressive shooters. Most of these shooters are those really rough defensive players. So it's um, always that way, right? It's, it's yeah, part of the fun. <laughs> exactly. I, I think this class actually is a really impressive class in terms of like shooting wings. When you yeah. find someone who can play on the wing and shoot really, really well, I'm very impressed with that depth in this class. Then you go to the defensive side, and there's like, okay, well, 
now what? I think when like Brandon Miller is someone who actually is all right on the defensive end. Most of the other guys are pretty rough on that end. Um, with Bryce, though, it's going more into the details when you're going to the on-ball stuff. I think with him, if you wanted to be optimistic, is he has to buy into like his frame and his body and, and strength and, and maybe still get in better shape a little bit, but buy into that part and be physical on that end and, and maybe be someone who can defend the post. I don't think he did that well, but if you play him as like a small ball four, like you said, maybe he can do that or have him against some bigger wings and you don't have to be the quickest to defend bigger wings. You just have to be strong enough so that where they can't bully you through because they're not, the bigger wings aren't the most quick, like they're not the burstiest either. Um, so just having the size can help. I'm skeptical both on and off the ball for him. But if you are to be optimistic, I would say it's going to be more like the on ball strength related kind of defensive stuff. Yeah, because I, I, I saw one listing where he was like six five, six six, like two thirty five, two forty. Like he's he's pretty stout. It's just that you know athletically, he doesn't seem like the, like the burstiest guy in the world. And then you know it's, it sort of shows on the offensive end too, where like you said, he, he's a good shooter and he's more of a self creator. Another thing we're like, yeah, the Hawks could probably use some self-creation if, if, if like, you know, somewhere, but with what they've already have on the roster with the addition of, at least in theory, more AJ Griffin in the future, et cetera, that's not really a need. Like they, they could maybe use it, but they're almost better off in some respects, obviously perfect world, getting someone who doesn't need the ball as much as, as Sense Ball does. Does that make sense to what I'm saying there? It feels like, like you said earlier, he's probably someone you would best optimize as someone who has the ball more often than not on offense. Yeah, as a score. I, I agree. And I think there are other players who have some on-ball upside, upside that we'll discuss, but they are also um, with, with defensive questions, but I think they can also bring more off the ball on offense as well. So I, I prefer some other guys over Bryce when, when talking about the Hawks, even if there still are defensive questions with them. Yeah, and before we move off of him too, I, I want to, you know, just let's go outside the Hawks for a second. Um because I've seen a split on on him and Joe. I was looking at, at one of those consensus boards today that just started coming out. And I love those things. They're very useful as far as like just seeing who, who, who goes. It feels like people have him. Some people have him as like a late lottery guy. And then people have him like in the mid, late 20s. Take the Hawks out of it. Like, how do you feel about Sensible as a, as a prospect in a vacuum? Um, I think the around the 20s makes around sense there. for him. I Me think too. That, I think that makes sense for him. Really impressive score. One thing I do want to mention with him is he missed the last couple of games this year with knee soreness. Yep. And that's actually something where in high school, he missed time in high school because of knee injuries and had multiple surgeries. Um, so with that knee soreness coming back up uh, at the end of the year, I am interested to, to see what happens there. If hopefully he's fully healthy and he's fully recovered and the knee soreness was nothing really big, but I wouldn't be shocked if, if teams have some concern there and he might be someone who falls. Yeah, and you know he was you know, obviously a really productive one and done guy, but like they also weren't particularly good, and he was kind of their best offensive player. And I don't, you know, that's not disqualifying, but uh, there was a school of thought like, you know, are, are they even better with this? I mean, he's obviously was their like we can score all this, but like that that Ohio State team, you don't want to blame him for that because it's not his fault. But um, there were some questions about like him carrying that load, like what's his actual best role? And again, in Atlanta, he doesn't have to be the number one option or anything like anything like that. But um, they also have Sadiq Bay, and they're not the same player by any means, but um, there are some similarities and limitation there. Um, kind of similar size, you know, bulk, bulkier guys, not not particularly big. And I do think of Sensible maybe as more of a three-four, like I, I, because of the defense. I, I, and that kind of not, not not saying that you have to consider Sadiq Bay when you're when you're drafting whichever player this is, but it's just I was it, it's popped in my mind as like a consideration because they have uh, a guy that's kind of like that, and they also have kind of a bevy of you know interchangeable wing forwards right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like personally for me also, like I wouldn't let Sadiq base taught me from dropping from someone. I agree. Um, yes. <laughs> but I do think I do think that thinking makes sense though, for sure. Yeah, it's just uh, something that popped into my head. Um 
I want to ask you, uh, I guess this is not, this is, I didn't plan it this way, but uh, uh, from Ohio State to Michigan, um, <laughs> Jed Howard is a guy I want to ask you about. Um, for some context here, uh, my friend Ben Pfeiffer, who I think you know, uh, came on the podcast and uh, got Hawks fans very excited about Jed Howard because Ben likes Jed Howard a lot. And uh, I was accused of being too low on Jed Howard, which is funny because I'm a Michigan fan for anybody that doesn't know that. Um, and I honestly, I, I don't love Jed Howard. I've always said that. Like, I think he's a first round pick for sure, but I'm not like gassing him up in a way that you might think Michigan guy would be gassed up by me. But Ben was very high on Jed Howard. I'll just say that. So that's probably the most recent, um, at least on this listenership on Jed Howard. Um, just team that up there. But uh, what do you make of Jed Howard? Because I almost did the segue earlier because of what you talked about with like shooters with defensive questions, because that is very obviously Jed Howard. Yes. Um, so I'm probably not the one that you want to come talk Jet Howard down either. I, I knew that too. I knew it. <laughs> I, I actually wrote about Jet Howard back in December. Um, I like him a lot. But yes, he does have defensive questions for sure. I actually think Bryce, like to put it into context, I think Sensible has more questions on defense than Jet. Um, yeah. But that's not to say Jet is good on that end. I think both are quite rough, unfortunately. Um, but with Jet, I think with his shooting, his volume from three, his shot versatility and the on-ball upside is, is pretty intriguing. I think with him, his handle's all right. Don't think he can create too much of like rim attempts that often by himself, though. It's more of the mid-range stuff that he has to rely on and get to some spin moves, and he gets cut off to his spots. But just having that kind of uh, shooter with, with the volume from three next to Trey, next to DeJounte would be very, very nice. And then I think, there is that on-ball upside. Where's the handle on the pull-up shooting that he has a little bit there as well? Moving with the defensive stuff, though, go a little bit more in depth. I think his best skill on defense is his recovery. But the problem with that is he's the one who puts him in the bad spot <laughs> in the first place, right? Yeah. So whether it's him getting beat because he's a, he's not as quick by a, a guard, they get the first step on him. He's good at using his length to actually contest a shot from behind or him defending the pick and roll or coming off a screen, getting hit by a screen because the screen navigation isn't great, but then using his length contest from behind or block a shot at the rim from behind. So it's his fault for the most part, some of the time that he's in these positions where he has to recover, but he is good at recovering, which I still think is nice to have um, off ball. I thought early in the year, his defense there was really, really rough. Mm -hmm. I thought it actually showed improvements from, where he started the season to where he ended the season on the defensive side of things, which is promising. I'm still a little bit skeptical on that end, but I do have more optimism with him than I do with sensible. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would like, uh, I would like Jet in Atlanta. Yeah. You know, I've, I've come around a little bit. Um, maybe it's been, uh, you know, red pilling me or whatever, but no, I, I, I do, I do like the fit in theory. And, but I mean, obviously the biggest question, I guess it's not, it's not this simple, but it, it comes down to how damaging is he defensively because of what I said before about this Hawks roster, like they, they can only take so many of these guys that are really going to hurt them defensively, especially point of attack. And when it's encouraging on some level that he can be a recovery guy, but um, their biggest issue this year, in my mind, on either end of the floor was point of attack defense. And that's not really a strength of Jed Howard. What do you think of him athletically? Cause like, you know, he wasn't necessarily a five-star coming out of high school. Like, he was a late riser. I remember that Iverson Classic he blew up kind of. He had a, he had a big week there in Memphis or whatever it was. And obviously, he's Joanna Howard's son. But um, it, what kind of athlete is Jed Howard? I, I, that's kind of a mixed thing. for He's not he's not nuclear athlete by any means. But maybe that is an area that I am uncertain about still. You know, I've watched him play a ton. Like, how I, – I guess through the prism of, like, can he even, you know, stay in front of guys, even if he improves technique-wise or whatever. Like, how is that going to sort of move? And how does he move athletically in your mind? 
So I think he's an underwhelming athlete, but I will say, I think we've seen value in someone who has uh, just some wing size to be able to defend the perimeter. Just having that kind of size is valuable. Uh, It just helps uh, contest shots. It's sometimes hard to drive around you just because you have some, you're a wider frame and you could bump people off their spots if they're smaller. Um, But yeah, I don't think he is going to be able to stay in front of guys that well. So yeah, to answer your question, I'd, I'd say it's a, it's a, he's an underwhelming athlete, unfortunately. Yeah, I know, and I, uh, I, I that's kind of what I see too. Um, but look, the, the size is very intriguing. I, I am always of the belief in watching him that um, he was not in the best case scenario at Michigan. Number one, you know, the, being coached by our dad's weird. That's just I don't know what that means, but it's it's definitely not normal. Um, and also, I think we saw at times as Buffkin rose in the second half of the season. We won't have to talk about him unless you want to. But uh, Jet was kind of pushed more into the role he should be in. Like he's not a number one. At least he, at least he shouldn't have been at this, at this level. And again, in Atlanta, you could take advantage of the shoot because I do believe in the shooting. I mean, the size and shooting combination is very very intriguing to the point where that's like plug and play in Atlanta. I feel like, and I think taking pressure off of him as a creator, like I agree with you, he, ha- he has creation upside, but if he doesn't have to do that right away and kind of ease into it, that would be a good place for him to be. So on offense, like you can't really ask for a better situation. I don't think than playing alongside Trey Young for Jet Howard in my mind. I don't know. Yeah. I think him playing off the ball in Atlanta makes so much sense for him. I think it'd be a lot of fun. One thing that like how I want to use him when he gets into the league is, off the ball, obviously, run him off some staggers, run him off some pin downs, and let him get comfortable with that kind of stuff. And then as he starts to play well, then you can start to mix in some maybe DHO stuff, maybe some side pick and rolls here and there, and see how he goes that way. But I, I do want to start off with the off-ball stuff, give him some nice off-ball actions, and let him do that. Because he's very capable of coming off a pin down, curling, getting into the paint, whether he goes to a floater or finish, or he actually has some nice kickouts from that situation as well or just coming off the screen or shooting so i want to see him in those situations um so i think just him playing off the ball makes a lot of sense going back to how you said when when kobe buffkin rose towards the end of the year i think something to um, remind yourself and everyone should know with with jet is he dealt with multiple ankle injuries this year and i think that's also when kobe buffkin started to actually make his jump this year yep so i sort of wonder if jet ever fully recovered um from his ankle injuries as well because his second half of the season i do think was worse than the first half of the season and we don't want to do recency bias too much but you also don't want to stick to your original opinion it's important to keep all the data points and, and go off of that but i do wonder if if people just have that taste in their mouth how he ended the year and don't remember how he began uh, began the year um but yeah also talking to a lot of michigan people they aren't that high on jet which i do think is interesting and i don't think that's random like yeah, when i, I went to it... arizona back in the day i sure i was an arizona fan when i was at school but there were guys who were like yeah i actually he could be a top prospect but i don't think he's that good and i think that does mean something because you're seeing them play all the game and like sometimes i remember Stanley Johnson at Arizona. I'm like, yeah, he sometimes got benched at the end of the games, uh, even though he was a top 10 prospect. And, and yeah, so I think it means yeah, something to be honest. It, it does. And but I will say like, sometimes it, it can also be a little bit misleading because it was also like a, a maddening college basketball season for Michigan. So maybe that yeah. bleeds over too, which is not, that's not Jed Howard's fault. Like he wasn't the reason they were not great this year. Um, but yeah, I think that could, it could be a good or bad. I don't, I don't, and I don't know. And I will, I, I keep trying to make myself check, 
all of that with Bufkin, who I like, and with Jet, who I, I'm, I'm not like out on Jet by any means. I just, you know, I think he's a top 20 guy in the class. It's more for Atlanta. Like, I really am worried about the defense, and that is just maybe that I like defense more than everybody else does, which I understand. I'm very pro-defense, and that it's scary, but I do believe in the offense a lot. So, like, there are worse things to be than uh, where he could be right now. Yeah, it's tough when you want to find someone who can provide value on both ends of the floor while also having some kind of creation upside. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're picking at 15, you're not picking the it's top hard. five. So, yep. like, there's, there's going to be a... a flaw with pretty much every single person that you're talking about at this range and then even more flaws when we get a second round guys right it's just the deeper you get into the draft the more flaws that are going to come up because they're talked about in this range for a reason um but yeah i i totally understand the jet concerns uh but i've always said like people can have their biases because they like a school or all this kind of stuff but if you're there watching almost every single game no one's watched the player as much as you have um so that's also something that, that's worth noting for sure. I will, uh, I will, I will own that for, I will own that. I, uh, you know, it could be good and bad, but I, I do think there's uh, some useful, useful stuff when you've seen not every minute of his career, but close to it. All right. That will do it for part one of two with my friend, Zach Milner. Part two should be available right now in your podcast feed of choice, whether it be Apple, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Please check us out and subscribe to the show. Please follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you all next time.